You're listening to Leverage. To Leverage. To Leverage. An ASA Studios production. Welcome to Leverage, ASA's podcast on the politics of aging. I'm Leanne Clark Shirley, and today we're highlighting an important conversation about mental and behavioral health that we had as part of our 2022 Managed Care Summit in partnership with US Aging. This conversation centers the integration of mental and behavioral health with Medicaid Managed Long-Term Services and Supports, or MLTSS. Our guests are Alice Denver and Jennifer Raymond. Alice is a Senior Policy Analyst and Program Director for Substance Use Disorders and for Justice-Involved Populations at Community Catalyst. That's a leading nonprofit national health advocacy organization. And Jennifer Raymond is the Chief Strategy Officer for AgeSpan, formerly known as Elder Services of the Merrimack Valley and North Shore. That's an area agency on aging that serves 28 cities and towns in Massachusetts. Enjoy the conversation. Today, we're talking about uh, behavioral health uh, becoming part of um, MLTSS, and it just from my cursory knowledge of it, um, it's, it feels like a lot of advocacy is still very much needed in this area. It feels like an area that's still new um, and is in early adoption or no adoption in some cases. That's how it feels. But let's talk about you know, why the integration of behavioral health and LTSS is important to older people. Alice, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are a number of reasons, and I'll just sort of tick through a few of them. One is the prevalence of behavioral health in this population. And, um, you know, it's hard to get really good hard statistics because of the stigma associated with, uh, you know, uh, uh, still, unfortunately, with these uh, both mental illness and substance use. But um, in, the, in the population over 65, the estimates are about 25% of people have either, uh, you know, a mental health or substance use um, diagnosis. Um, and that that is growing um, over time as the boomers age and as the pandemic rages, continues to rage, yeah. both, both are driving um, this. And that we uh, also know that there was a, a report a couple of years back from the National Coalition on Mental Health and Aging, which I recommend as a resource if people don't know them, um, that found that uh, nearly 50% of people with LTSS needs had a behavioral health condition and that didn't include dementia. 50, 50%, 50%, percent, and it wow. did not include dementia. So okay. it's I'm going to be much higher than that. And we know that a majority of people with both mental health and substance use um, do not get treatment. Um, and that's across the age span, not just among seniors. So that's one big important reason to integrate. Another, in my, in my opinion, is the similarity of services. Um, and certainly while we know some behavioral health conditions are acute um, or situational, um, and can completely completely resolve by treatment. Many require long-term services, or services over a lifetime, services such as peer supports, support groups, supportive housing, assistance with, assistance with activities of daily life. So I like to think of these as specialized LTSS. I mean, in a lot of senses, there's some of the similar set of services. Another reason for integration is that the consequences of untreated or undertreated. Um, uh, mental health and substance use, which can include things like falls. Um, it can include other uh, uh, um, you know, physical and uh, uh, mental ailments. Mm -hmm. um, and it can include suicide. I mean, it can be really drastic. So it's really important uh, that we pay attention. Yeah. But there are all these barriers to mm -hmm. 
um, to accessing behavioral health services in particular among older people, primary is stigma. Because um, again, again, that may be changing with the boomers coming through, but but um, uh, the issue is, you know, is, is among many of our older old is still that feeling of this is a very much stigmatized. You don't acknowledge these um, things. Right. Also, cultural customs, um, you know, that are that are different um, across, when you look across race and um, and ethnicity about recognizing these as, as illnesses. Um, there's cost, transportation, and then fragmented care, which is the last thing that I wanted to talk about as a barrier, because that can contribute both to the worsening of, of mental health and substance use, as well as the worsening of, of frailty and other issues that may be an issue. Um, and that the frequent touch of much home community-based long-term services you know, really can be an important way for older people to be able to get help in accessing mental health and substance use services with less stigma. And has the, you know, integration has the potential to really address many of the other barriers as, as well by, you know, bringing the, the services into the home, potentially those sure. behavioral health services and tailoring the care to the person and their needs. So, um, one thing I just want to mention, just in terms of that reframing, and you talked about, we, you know, to be thinking about language and stuff, is like, could we have peer recovery specialists, hmm. right, or peer recovery coaches who are PCAs, right, hmm. as well? Could we have those professions um, be, you know, be, be beginning to be merged and really recognize that you can't have a PCA who may have a history of, of substance use or maladies and be in recovery and be also skilled at coaching? Yeah, that's a compelling idea. I mean. Gosh, as you're talking, you know, I, I I don't like to reduce things down to what they cost Medicare or Medicaid or taxpayers, but all of the statistics that you were talking about just kept taking me back there. Um, undertreated, untreated behavioral health issues must cost a fortune um, that could be prevented with better integration. It seems that that must be true. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you know a figure off the top of your head, but I, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, but it's very easy to, it is to come by. I just didn't pull it in. I don't want to give a wrong figure, but it's, it's, it's lots. Yes. It's got to be tremendous. Yeah. So there's a huge, there's a lot at stake here. Um, so when I started off by saying, you know, it feels like there's not a lot of movement. Um, is that true? Or are there some states, some models of integration and in Medicaid managed care that are going on, Alice? So there has been movement, um, or, or I should just say, you know, and states have really attempted various ways to do this, both in managed, Medicaid managed long-term services um, for the guidance, you know, uh, of, of CMS, as well as through a lot of the demonstrations that were uh, for people who are duly eligible, Medicaid and Medicare. And I heard, even heard some about them earlier because, um, you know, those, those, a lot of those demonstrations, the requirement was that they integrate long-term services with behavioral health and physical health. Um, and um, through a, a unified care plan and care team, you know, but, but one of the issues that came up there was that, um, you know, some uh, states chose to continue behavioral health carve-outs um, into often either from managed care or from the main, the main MCO and with having a separate set of MCOs for behavioral health. And that required a separate coordination mechanism. Mm -hmm. And some places chose to have multiple coordinators as it turned and then you have to coordinate the coordinators. So there, there's sort of these issues that begin to unfold. And 
Um, you know, there, there's a there's a couple programs in Massachusetts that you know I just wanted to flag, and not not holding them up as successes because we don't know yet whether they will be successful. Right? This, there's a senior care options program for people over 65, which is the dual eligible demonstration that now is a program and has been running a long time in which geriatric care managers do a lot of the, the care management and do some of that, um, but we don't really have the data on that. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for a new program that Massachusetts um, introduced, um, which is trying to push this envelope more for the under 65 population of, um, and this is really Medicaid, and this is really, they've designated um, accountable care organizations to, is to be the, ma the managing agents. Mm -hmm. But under that, the, they, the state uh, set up uh, specific uh, community providers um, designated that people could apply to be a behavioral health community provider or a long-term services community provider. And then they went on and not just said we're going to have those two buckets of providers, community providers, but we're going to have the behavioral health providers coordinate people's long-term services if they're getting behavioral health services. That makes sense. It's resulted as it was come up out of that, which I think will be really interesting to track and to see if we can really make a difference is that that has led to some um, uh, both coordination and now some consul consolidation of groups of community agencies that are working on behavioral health with those who are working on long-term services. So that's going to help sort of in the structural structural way potential. Um, and there are other, a few other examples, but um, I think what I want to say is, you know, we we don't really know anything about how that works for beneficiaries. Hmm. All of, so far, all of the, the, the studies that I can find are looking at either the outcomes they're looking at are about how did this integration affect physical health, not how it has affected the behavioral health and not how it affected the quality of life. And so, and there's very little that's been asking um, the actual members what the experience was like. Was the experience seamless? You know, did it, did it meet those things that we heard that the providers were, you know, and states were asking about right. what, the, what person centered, you know, did it meet the person centered standards? And we don't really know that because the surveys and studies haven't been done yet. It's almost um, like there's stigma among the, the the measures and the studies as well as the the issue itself. Yeah, absolutely. So I think those are some of the, you know, some of the, the big questions we still have before we point to anybody as a as a model. So we can hold up, you know, Massachusetts as an example of something that's interesting that's being tried. And I think we heard from California this morning or earlier, depending on where you yeah. <laughs> afternoon, right? About what they're trying with their new. Um, Calame program, which will try also to do this with a different model, right. but it's to, they're just beginning, so we don't know, you know, whether that's going to work. Right. So a lot of question, more questions than answers, I think here yeah. this time. Okay. Well, um, so let's stay on the topic of Massachusetts, Jennifer. Um, that's where you're based. I wonder if you could tell us about your work at AgeSpan and how you all are approaching this issue of integration um, of behavioral health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I first want to thank Alice for the framework. And I, I love how you ended by talking about more questions than, than answers. And I think the great thing is that we're in a place now where people are starting to listen to the questions and understand the questions mm -hmm. and, and understand that the behavioral health 
challenges out there with respect to workforce, with respect to referrals, are having a significant impact on the older adult population specifically that, that we serve. So I'm all for questions as long as folks are listening to the questions and coming together collaboratively. Um, H-Band is an area agency on aging in Northeastern Massachusetts. We have been doing home and community-based services in 28 cities and towns in the Northeast region of Massachusetts for about 45 years um, right now. Really careful to say we serve 28 cities and towns because there are hundreds of diverse communities within those, those cities and towns um, that really make it a, a challenge. Um, we have a, a region that possesses one of the most affluent communities in the in the state in Andover, as well as one of the poorest communities in the mm -hmm. state, um, Lawrence, which is, is where I sit today. Um, in December of last year, we took the, the measure of rebranding, and um, although we had the right tools as Elder Services of the Merrimack Valley and North Shore, there was some confusion as to what we did and who we served. And as an agency, we wanted to be sure that we were thinking about a more upstream approach to supporting older adults and really taking a lens of looking at healthy aging across the lifespan? Are there things that we can do to folks who are in their 50s who might not identify as being a, a, a recipient of elder services that would help them either as a caregiver or as a person aging in the community? Um, the other thing that was important about um, age span is like many of the other area agencies on aging across the country, we were learning lessons that the tools and expertise used to provide supports to older adults were similar to the tools and expertise used to provide supports uh, across the lifespan to other populations. What was missing was that specific area of expertise. So much like in the behavioral health world that, that Alice talked about, we as an agency knew those things that we were really good at and knew those things that other people were experts at. And that's why sort of the partnership and the integration of long-term support services and behavioral health to us was, was quite imperative. So we as an agency take what we like to call a behavioral health light approach to, to addressing this. Um, if you're familiar with the SBIRT evidence-based model, that screening, brief intervention, referral to treatment, that's very much how we look at our approach to, to behavioral health. Alice mentions the geriatric support service coordinators who are part of the duals demonstration here in Massachusetts. We have um, geriatric support teams across the agency that are able to do assessment, including assessment related to behavioral health needs and um, social determinant of health needs. Where they're able to refer them into brief interventions within the, the agency that might be um, counseling with one of our LICSWs uh, here in the agency or it might mean um, for someone who has behavioral health challenges and housing, and you know maybe they have challenges with hoarding and cluttering. Mm -hmm. We have some providers who are experts in hoarding and cluttering, and how do we sort of work with that behavioral health challenge and keep people housing secure? Um, and then we have an evidence-based 
a program called Healthy Ideas, which is a non-clinical intervention that focuses on helping manage symptoms of depression, stress, anxiety. So sometimes those tools that I just mentioned are really helpful to either A, help someone overcome the stigma of mm -hmm. getting larger access to clinical behavioral health services. Sometimes they're, they're B, they're that bridge and that waiting room almost mm -hmm. for more intense clinical uh, behaviors. And then there's sometimes C, which is, you know, making people feel ready to take on other kinds of services. So maybe they could use home um, uh, chore help in the home or more nutrition services or just support groups. Those are the kinds of programs. So it is that marriage between partnering with those experts in the community who understand geriatric behavioral health and us being that BH behavioral health light um, resource. Yeah. What are some of the impacts that you're seeing? Um so far? And what do you think maybe some of those keys to success um, are in terms of how you set this thing up and how it's operating? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest impact we've seen is that folks, when they have even a light touch of behavioral health expertise, a focus on an evidence-based program or the hoarding or some support group, it does oftentimes create a readiness to more fully engage in other kinds of services. So while someone might not feel ready to accept a case manager or care manager coming into their home and doing that assessment, once they participate in some of this behavioral health light piece, it does seem to make them more ready um, to uh, open up to the wider range of, of services. Um, the other thing that, that we found is that in some of the programs, when we do the PHQ-9 tool, like in our Healthy Ideas, we see really nice increases in people's feelings of being less lonely, less isolated. And we've all seen the research over the last couple of years comparing loneliness to the new smoking or the new sitting or whatever the new new um, um, is. And, and I think the other sort of really important impact and outcome we've seen from, from some of this work is an increased understanding by behavioral health clinicians and experts of the unique needs of, of older adults. So it is that we're, we're working with the same consumer, we're able to say, that works, but they first have to overcome these five or six other challenges to accessing services. So I, I do think the integration benefits not only the consumer, but it, it benefits both workforces as, mm -hmm. as well as we move forward. It's so important to us that we have recently elevated that work to a senior director of behavioral health integration, not behavioral health services, but behavioral integration. health integration as part of the, the agency's work. So yeah. anybody knows anyone. <laughs> Are you hiring right now for that I'm position? Right now. Yeah, excellent. Um, was that a tough sell to you know your board or your leadership to fund that position or did it just make sense? It wasn't a tough sell. I, I, I think we had been 
um, dipping our toe into the behavioral health world and understanding that sort of challenges around the referral to treatment piece, both in terms of the availability and the capacity, but also in terms of, of the readiness. So yeah. we knew it wasn't going to be a problem that we would be able as an agency to solve for our communities, but we needed to have someone with that right lens and that right expertise uh, to be able to work with partners across the, the community and, and build upon the integration piece. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be excited to know who, who fills that position and see the work um, that they do. Maybe we'll have to have you all back. If you'd like to hear more from Alice or Jennifer or learn more about the innovations happening in MLTSS, you already have access if you attended our recent on-aging conference in person or virtually. And if you didn't, it's not too late. Visit the on-aging page on aging.org to get access to the Managed Care Summit and other events that we held as part of our 2022 on aging conference. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next month. Bye.